The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing is brought to you by BDA Radio. BDA Radio doesn't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head on over to BDARadio.com and check out all of the latest news on the UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. They are proud to be the voice of fans because they are fans themselves. BDARadio.com I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? This is the wrestling podcast about nothing. Nothing? Welcome to episode 37 of the BDA Radio exclusive edition of the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDARadio.com and the podcast radio network. I am longtime pro wrestling referee Mike Crockett, and I am not joined as always by independent wrestling veteran, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis. The Kingpin just getting home from his excursion to Disney World to Orlando, Florida, so he is not here tonight. I am instead joined by a good friend of the wrestling podcast about nothing he's a part of the rundown wrestling podcast and he's been a mainstay around the new england independent wrestling scene for a very long time this is jason stewart hello jason is this where i go hello michael is that the, is that the gimmick i'm hoping you have a little more energy I appreciate it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Like I said, I've been listening to the uh, WPN since the beginning. I've been a big fan. I'm excited to be a part of it. I got some water in case any gargling breaks out. I'm ready to go. <laughs> God, hopefully no gargling, no gargling. Uh, there's a lot of backlash. There's a lot of backlash once that happened. So, And backwash. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, Jason, uh, I've known you for a little while now. Actually, we didn't run in the same circles a whole bunch when I was around the independence. But why don't you tell the people out there just how you got involved in this wacky world of pro wrestling? Oh, uh, well, I basically uh, started in high school with being friends with uh, Slick Wagner Brown and Bo Douglas. They started at Killer Kowalski School. I was medically unable to pursue a career in the ring. So I was hanging out with them and I was picking up on refereeing the training matches and things like that. Uh, eventually I went into doing high school football, uh, and Bo had recommended me to Tony Rumble, who was looking for somebody to do some play by play for him. Unfortunately, Tony passed before I was able to do that. And then Jason took over NWA New England at the time and put me as the lead voice for his, his show. And then it just kind of took off from there and I've been around it ever since. So we were like ships passing in the night. I was leaving NWA New England. You were coming in. Yeah, exactly. It seems that that was the case with us for a while now. Yeah. So I, I finally did meet you when I came to an Atlantic Pro Wrestling show and uh, had a great time there. Um, so how did it come about that you became a part of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast? Yeah, that was uh, APW was actually the impetus for that, too, because Adam Salzer, who was hosting the Rundown at the time, uh, as the ring announcer up there, and I would listen to his podcast on the way up to the shows, and then I would get to the shows and explain to him why he was wrong on so many of the issues he would talk <laughs> about on the show. And eventually, he just looked at me and said, listen, if you got all these opinions, just come on the show and talk about them. And I said, sure, why not? And uh, it started there. It was like, hey, do you want to come in uh, every now and then as a co-host? 
other co-hosts kind of faded off to the side and it ended up that I was just there every week. And recently Adam decided that he was going to uh, step away from the rundown and basically handed the keys to the car to myself and uh, Troy and we're trying to run with it and uh, build up an audience and and get things going. So I appreciate the uh, invite here to expand perhaps that listener base to some more people. One of the things that I really enjoy that you do is the rundown sit downs, which is just you one on one with a talent, uh, you know, independent wrestling talent. And that's going to be coming back soon, right? Yeah, I'm, I ended up uh, taking a gig as a little league coach for my son's team in the fall. As I'm sure you know, scheduling the uh, independent talent can sometimes be difficult as it is. Yes. Uh, and with the additional time being spent on practices and actual games, it's been difficult to figure it out. But uh, hopefully I'm planning on November bringing the sit-downs back uh, and hopefully trying to expand maybe a little bit outside of New England and get some other guys on there because I really do enjoy it. And that came about, that's an interesting story, because Adam came to me and said, hey, I've, I've got this kid, Avery Forrestal, who I know you guys have had on too. Great yes. kid. He said he's got a great story. I'd love to do a sit down with him, at, at like an interview with him, just as kind of an extra on the rundown feed. Would you mind like sitting in? I think you could contribute. And I said, sure, why not? And, and Adam won't mind me telling this story because we've told it on the air before. We get to the interview. Adam's about three questions in, and we're about 10 minutes into this interview. And he says, all right, well, I think I'm pretty much out of questions. <laughs> this is not going to work for good radio. Uh, uh, so off the cuff and uh, with no real prep or knowing Avery at the time at all, I pulled together probably about an hour interview out of that, at which point he came to me at the end and he's like, that was really good and you should do that all the time for the rundown feed. And I never thought about doing it before, but back in the day, my favorite, and as somebody who's done wrestling broadcasting, one of my favorite things was always those like Jim Ross sit-down interviews that he would right. do, uh, like the ones with Mankind and all those things. And I think you get a lot out of the talent that way. Uh, so I just kind of approach it that way, and I think it's a good back and forth and a good give and take. Yeah, I mean, you had some great ones, of course. You talked about Slick Wagner Brown, one of the guys that helped to bring you into the business. You talked to him. You talked to Luis Ortiz, who we don't yep. hear a lot from. He's not really on social media much. He doesn't really do a lot of interviews. So a guy who's basically legendary here in New England, you did an interview with him. And, of course, you had the kingpin on as well. You threw him a bone, so that was nice of you. Yeah, no, the, everybody's been great. Everybody that I've asked, you mentioned Lewis. That was his first podcast ever, which was particularly an honor for me. I've had Rich Palladino on, who's been one of my role models in the business and, and a good friend, great guy. Jason uh, Rumble, probably the most poignant one. Um, very open, very honest. Controversial. Absolutely. I had the first time I had to put a disclaimer in front of one of the interviews. Yeah, but it, it's been great. And I, the coolest thing, and I say this all the time just to the people I talk to, is like, I'll talk to a guy like Wagner, who I've known my entire life, and I'll find stuff out about him that I didn't know. And to me, that's been the coolest part. Everybody should go. Make sure you subscribe if you're not already to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast feed. Search it anywhere you get your podcasts. You'll find that. And they're filling that feed up all week long with great stuff. So make sure you subscribe. And it's great to have you here, Jason, today because coming up, we've got Merv Griffin time. That's where we get your thoughts and answer your questions. Plus, one more creepy cackle will be immortalized in our Heel Laugh Hall of Fame. But first, we are discussing a different topic each week, voted on by our listeners and followers at the WPAN on Twitter. And Jason, much like Adam did, I gave you the keys this week. <laughs> I asked you to come up with the four topics to discuss, and we put them into a poll, and the people voted, 
And the winning topic is the worst debut for a future superstar. Uh, you talked about worst debuting gimmick, but I, I think we can go a little more loosey-goosey here and just the worst debut for a future superstar in the wrestling business. I think there's quite a few that we could get into here. Of course, we both have our number one picks, what we think is the worst debut ever for a superstar. But before we get to that, let's just kind of uh, bat the ball around here. You're talking about your Little League baseball team. Let's bat the ball around a little bit here. What would you say, just to start us off, what are the worst debuts? Okay, I'm going to start you off here with a curveball because as I was kicking around this topic, one thing kept popping into my mind that I knew is, a, is, is an answer nobody would come up with. Everyone knows Becky Lynch, the Irish last kicker. She was the first ever SmackDown Women's Champion. She's one of the original four horsewomen. And despite probably being the fourth most notable of that group, she did have one of the worst debuts. It wasn't always steampunk and straight fire for young Miss Lynch because I'm not talking about her WWE debut which despite some questionable booking and a certain sorority went off just fine. <laughs> Instead, I'm of course referring to her original debut on the NXT brand. And if you want to go back and check it out, it was the June 26, 2014 episode of NXT with Summer Rae in the ring. And we hear the bagpipe music play and we are introduced for the first time to Miss Lynch. She comes to the ring wearing an outfit so green, the Lucky Charms guy would say it was too Irish. <laughs> then to complete the whole package, she came to the ring doing an Irish jig. We were also informed on commentary by Renee Young, yes, I said Renee Young, <laughs> that she was taught to dance by Colin Farrell's younger brother, you know, in case you missed that she was Irish. If you do go back and check it out, perhaps the best part was when Summer Rae's BFF allies at the time, Sasha Banks and Charlotte, were at ringside, openly mocking Lynch's dancing the entire time. At least Becky managed to get the W in her debut showing because they clearly thought pretty highly of her, all evidence to the contrary in her gimmick. <laughs> I don't even recall this. I'm not sure I even ever saw it. I guess I'll have to up my subscription to the WWE Network <laughs> to be able to go back and look at it on NXT. Um, yeah, I don't even remember this. Wow. It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's a good one. That's a hidden gem there. It's good to have you here, Jason Stewart, for stuff like that. Okay. I'll get one out of the way. One of the most obvious ones. I hope I'm not spoiling your big secret number one pick here, Jason. Isaac Yankum, DDS, the debut of Glenn Jacobs, who will go on to be known as The Undertaker's brother, Kane. Yes, his debut, first of all, in vignettes with Jerry the King Lawler. King Lawler had, there was a kiss my foot match with Bret the Hitman Hart. Leading up to that, he was walking around in horse stalls. He was doing all sorts of things to get his feet dirty and sticky enough to have Bret Hart kiss them. Yes, public restrooms too, I believe. <laughs> oh my goodness. And in the end, of course... Bret Hart won the match and used Jerry Lawler's own foot. He pulled his own foot into Jerry Lawler's mouth, and Jerry had to go to his own personal dentist, who happened to be nearly seven feet tall and bleach blonde at the time, Isaac Yankum, DDS, and he had one notable match. Uh, there might have been two, actually. There was a cage match in there, too, wasn't there, against Bret Hart? Uh, yeah, I think it was in the Royal Rumble at one point, too. 
Okay, well, he wasn't around for that. He was around for probably long, a lot longer than he should have been. But Isaac Yankum, DDS, the debut of Kane in the WWF. We know what Kane went on to be, obviously, in that storyline with The Undertaker and one of the mainstays for... He still hasn't officially retired. He's still, I guess, an active member of the roster, but... Yeah, he really didn't deserve this debut, but it is one of the worst debuts, I would say, in WWE history. One of the worst gimmicks in WWE history. Isaac Yankum, DDS, of course, the future Kane. Absolutely, and he was on my list as well. I even included, and you can go back to the old Memphis USWA days, he did a gimmick as the Christmas creature, which was (laughs) equally as bad. He was dressed as a Christmas tree. Yes, decorations (laughs) and everything. Yeah, you got me there. You one up me there. Yeah, that's that's probably even worse than a wrestling dentist is a living, breathing Christmas tree. Absolutely. Uh, what else you got there, Jason? Well, I don't like to stick strictly to the WWE, so I figured I would mix it up a little bit. Great. Uh, because technically, Kevin Nash had already debuted in WCW as half of the Master Blasters, but I'm going to go with his big singles debut, which many of you will already know was made as the great and powerful Oz. Uh, apparently, this came about because Ted Turner owned the rights to the Wizard of Oz movie, and WCW decided they were going to utilize those rights by creating a character based on the movie. Uh, they cast Nash in the role, and he dyed his hair gray. Really, they could have just waited a few years. Um <laughs> They also gave him a ridiculous wizard mask. They even gave him a castle with fireworks coming out of them in the background. Perhaps the most ridiculous part of this was that they dressed up Kevin Sullivan as a wizard in some sort of strange costume and completed the outfit with a monkey on his shoulders. Um, (laughs) If you go back to Oz's debut against the legendary Tim Parker, you can actually hear a masked Sullivan say, tell me when over the TV audio before the narrator starts speaking. Yes, there was in fact a narrator to his entrance um (laughs) this entrance included a tin man a scarecrow a lion and of course dorothy and toto sullivan ushered the frightened characters up to the meet and greet with the great and powerful oz then the music kicks in which i'm pretty sure if you listen to it steals the baseline from another one bites the dust finally the bell rings the match takes place and the entire time the match is going on sullivan stays in the ring off to the side yelling welcome to oz the best part about this debut is that it makes the Vinny Vegas character seem perfectly normal. Now, I have to ask you, Mike, as a seasoned veteran referee, yes. would you allow a manager to stay in the ring for an entire match? No. He would be drawn and quartered. I would kick him out immediately. That's what I would have thought. And I, don't, I don't recall this either. What, what's going on here? Where was I? I, I apparently not on YouTube, I guess. When did this happen? Was it a Clash of the Champions? Where was this? I, I don't think it was the Clash of Champions. I think he made his Clash of Champions debut, I want to say, against Ron Simmons. I think this was just a regular television show. Interesting, though, in the, in the process of researching this, I did stumble across another clip of the great and powerful Oz, where he teamed up with another guy from WCW with a ridiculous gimmick known as the Diamond Stud. Yes, in yes. fact... The debut of The Outsiders was the teaming of Oz and the Diamond Stud in WCW, and that's one you can go online and check out. I did see that on, on YouTube, yes. Quite, quite amazing what went on uh, many years later, and it all dates back to Oz and the Diamond Stud as a tag team. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Tremendous. Okay, I'll go a little unorthodox with this one. How about, I'll just say Jim Ross in the WWE. Okay. His debut in the WWE, he was wearing a toga. <laughs> at WrestleMania 9 
And uh, he came a long way from wearing a toga. He ended up graduating to a cowboy hat. But his humble beginnings in WWE, Jim Ross dressed in a bedsheet. That's where he that's where he started in WWE. It was only up from there, I guess. Certainly one of my inspirations and the best, in my opinion, to have ever done it. So, but yeah, that that debut, of course, he got overshadowed by Bobby Heenan riding backwards on the camel. R.I.P. Right. to uh, the brain. Yes. All right. So, is this my turn now? Because I got another interesting one that I think a lot of people will know this one, but it bears reminding. Okay. Because this guy is obviously one of the most well-known bad debuts, and it belonged to a man that would arguably go on to become one of the most, if not the most, successful name in wrestling history, and kingpin all apologies to the Hulkster. Of course I am talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes. Stone Cold was not always popping tops, flipping birds, and blowing roofs off of arenas. Uh, In fact, when he made his debut in WWE on Raw January 8th, 1996, the reaction was a bit more measured than it would eventually become. It was an episode of the Brother Love Show featuring the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase where DiBiase was going to introduce the man he had hand-selected as his new million-dollar champion. Fresh off a largely successful run in WCW as Stunning Steve Austin, he was introduced as the ringmaster. The crowd's reaction (laughs) was that of almost complete indifference. Austin, by many accounts, was paired with DiBiase because Vince felt he was a good hand but a bad promo and needed DiBiase as a mouthpiece. Though to watch this debut promo, man, one would assume he would be hard-pressed to disagree with Vince, man. Because he said, man, man, a bunch of times, man. (laughs) It was clearly not his best work, though I think in the end it worked out pretty well for old Steve Austin. I think so. I I do recall I heard on the Bruce Pritchard podcast, he was originally not even supposed to speak at all in that debut promo. But I guess they called it on the fly that Austin ended up saying some words. He did the whole puts his hand and, you know, put your hand on the screen and touch my hand, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they didn't trust Steve Austin at all with the microphone in the beginning. It's funny how far he got, despite the fact in the beginning he was, yeah, not trusted to do his own promos. Yeah, Vince not a big fan of Southern accents, and I think the Texas thing uh, made Vince think that, hey, I need to get DiBiase out there. But uh, little did he know he was sitting on a gold mine at the time. Yes. Uh, Okay, let me talk about a woman who debuted on WWF TV in the Attitude Era as a hoe. Her first gimmick in wrestling on TV was as one of Godfather's hoes. Of course, I'm talking about Victoria, who would go on to be one of the better women's wrestlers in an era where, uh, you know, those were at a premium. So Victoria (laughs) ended up doing pretty well, despite the fact that she started, you know, dressed like a trollop walking the uh, Godfather down to the ring. So Victoria ended up uh, in a much better place than she started. To be fair, a lot of the women around that time were dressed like hoes most of the time. (laughs) I guess that's true. All right, we can get a couple more in here before we get to our number one picks. What else you got there, Jason? All right, well, allow me to double down on this one because this person makes my list two times. Uh, We all know Dolph Ziggler is one of the great in-ring performers in the company today. Seemingly puts on a top flight match every time he's on the show. He has the honor of being on this list twice because... You can allow me to take you back for a moment to Raw. January 23rd, 2006, Jerry the King Lawler competing with Jonathan Coachman in a Royal Rumble qualifying match. 
During the match, we hear a strange music hit. Then we see a group of male cheerleaders burst through a Spirit Squad logo, and history was made. As we watched these guys go through an out-of-sync attempt to cheer, complete with pom-poms, I bet nobody knew at the time we were looking at a future world heavyweight champion and multiple-time IC champ in the form of Spirit Squad member Nikki. Now, of course, he didn't win those titles under that moniker because, as we all know, DX eventually sent the Spirit Squad back to OVW. Nikki would not be deterred and knew that if one terrible gimmick wasn't enough to get him the <laughs> rocket strapped to him, he would need a second terrible debut. <laughs> so around the time of Boogie Nights and the not-so-low-key Big Hog-possessing character Dirk Diggler were all the rage, we started to see segments on Raw where a young man with bleach-blonde hair would walk up to random individuals and introduce himself as Dolph Ziggler. This went on for several months before he actually made his in-ring debut against Batista, where Lillian Garcia introduced him as he came to the ring, only to have Dolph grab the mic and introduce himself to the crowd, thus announcing he had doubled down on bad gimmicks. Well, uh, I think you missed one. He tripled down on bad gimmicks. He was the caddy for Kerwin White. This is true, too, yes. <laughs> three-time. Yeah, he's a three-time loser. But, yeah, he definitely overcame, well, I mean, nowadays. He did win a world championship, but nowadays, who knows what the hell's going on with Dolph Ziggler. But in there, you also mentioned a man that is on my list. He made his WWE debut as a deacon. Uh, deacon yes. Batista was paired up with Devon Dudley, who was Reverend Devon at this point. They split up the Dudley boys. Bubba went his way. Devon went another way. Devon ended up becoming, as I mentioned, Reverend Devon. And the keeper of... What was he keeping? The, the, the donation box. Yes, the donation box. Thank you. That was in the possession of one Deacon Batista. So very, very extremely humble beginnings for the man who would go on to be a multiple-time world champion and do big things at WrestleMania, be a part of Evolution, go on to be a movie star in Guardians of the Galaxy, James Bond, a number of things. Batista, once Deacon Batista, the guy holding the donation box for Reverend Devon. Yeah, he came a long way as well. Uh, anything else on your list, Jason, before we get to our number ones here? Well, Batista was very much in contention for number one on my list. But another interesting one that I think a lot of people forget, The Miz, who actually debuted as the host of SmackDown, at the time he would stand in the crowd, cut cheesy promos about how great the, crowd, the city really was. That was pretty bad and all, but then he came to Raw and made his big Raw debut on July 10th, 2006, when he came out to announce the Divas search. <laughs> this should be cake for a guy that we know is one of the best talkers in the business, right? Well, let's just say the Miz has come a long way, because on this night, he rambled through the promo, reminding us that the sexiest women in the world, er, I, I mean, uh, on, on TV, are in the WWE. It got worse as he seemingly forgets his lines and where people go to vote, giving us an uncomfortable chuckle as he searches for it. First telling us to go um, uh, WWE. Uh, finally, he remembers that they have to call in, except he not so subtly holds up his wrist in front of the camera to recite the number to call, and then he forgot that you don't call, you actually text. All in all, the whole thing was fairly embarrassing, uh, especially on the big stage for the first time. And I'm sure it's one that The Miz would rather forget. 
that was one of our promo about nothings quite a while back. It was really cringeworthy. It, you could see the flop sweat. You could just. <laughs> I felt for the guy. I felt for the guy. He was out there just floundering. Oh, totally uncomfortable. Yeah, nowhere to go. He was just out there, and he had to get through it on live TV. And oof. Oof, brutal. Okay, one more before I get to my number one. Let's go with Avatar. Do you recall Avatar? Yes, unfortunately I do. (laughs) He made his debut on Raw, and he came to the ring with a mask, but it wasn't on him. He was just walking down to the ring holding a mask, and you plainly saw that it was a gentleman who would go on to get some significance in the wrestling business as Al Snow, and he got in the ring, then took this mask and put it on, and then started wrestling. So I'm not quite sure what the point of the whole mask thing was. We didn't really get to it because he didn't stay as Avatar very long. He would go on to be Leaf Cassidy, a member of the New Rockers. Of course, Kingpin says anything with new in front of it stinks. And uh, I rather enjoyed Leaf Cassidy, but uh, for a much different way than the Rockers. They're a much different team than the Rockers. They went for more comedy as the New Rockers. But Avatar ended up having one of the classically brutal live television matches. It was against Brian Walsh, who is a guy that had a lot of experience locally and was really renowned as a great wrestler. But on this night, on live TV, it never clicked. It went very poorly. And Avatar was basically dead and buried from this one match. Uh, He's lucky, actually, that he was able to stick around. He was given different gimmicks. And he finally connected with the whole head gimmick for uh, Al Snow, a great trainer, uh, of course, from the original Tough Enough. But... um, Who knows what happened if they had just fired Al Snow on this day after this really poor uh, showing on live television on Raw. Avatar, Al Snow, one of the worst debuts, one of the worst gimmicks for a future star of all time. Okay, Jason, are we at that point in the show? Uh, Well, it's your show, so you tell me. I'm ready to go, whatever you want to do. Okay, let's go with Jason Stewart from the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Your number one pick for the worst debut for a future superstar. Okay. This one did not make my list due to a ridiculous gimmick or anything crazy, but rather for the actual debut match itself. And if you haven't seen it, it took place June 22nd on the 1998 edition of Monday Night Raw. It was featuring a man that would go on to be a multiple-time world heavyweight champion, a WWE champion, a Hall of Famer. You might know him as Edge, who, by the way, has his own great podcast, which I advise you to go check out. (laughs) His debut match was against Jose Estrada, who at the time was representing Los Bariquas. Edge stormed to the ring wearing the same sparkly silver shirt I was known to wear at nightclubs in Boston around the same time. Ooh! Hey, I I had a little fun time back in the day. (laughs) He got jumped by Estrada. The match went all of about a minute and seven seconds, and you might ask yourself if he won with a spear or maybe that old Education DDT that was predating the glorious DDT. The answer to that would be no. You see, the the ending came a little bit earlier than Edge expected as he executed a somersault plancha to the outside on the floor, breaking Estrada's neck. Tim White showed the urgency of The Undertaker's entrance as he proceeded to count to 10, and the match ended, as did Estrada's in-ring career. Now, accidents happen in the ring, we all know that, but 
how about on your debut match, breaking a guy's neck and ending his career? That's a pretty bad debut. That is a rough debut, and it was on my list as well. Edge, who knows what would have happened if they just said, this guy is unsafe, let's not go with him. But yeah, the first match ever, breaking a guy's neck, that is a tough break, uh, well, literally. Um, But yeah, Edge did go on to overcome that, and as you said, go on to be a multiple-time world champion, WWE champion, and... Thank God that he was uh, able to get past that. And I mean, it's too bad for one of Los Bariquas, Jose Estrada, that he was a fell victim. victim. Yeah, he was a victim to what was going on there. Uh, You could say that was a bit of a career education, if you will. (laughs) I guess you could, Jason. I guess you could. All right. As for me, my worst debut ever for a future superstar. Well... I, I don't want to do it. It's blasphemy as a New England guy, as a guy who witnessed this man's debut in professional wrestling. You, you didn't pick the kingpin, right? No. Because <laughs> I, I assume he's going to listen to this, Mike. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> no, actually, that was one of the best debuts. Brian Buffet, come on. But no, uh, Kingpin did have a pretty terrible debut. He broke his knee. <laughs> he killed his leg in his first match ever uh, against Billy Kryptonite, Billy Kay, the future Chad Dick. That was a bad debut. That is my runner-up. Okay, <laughs> you convinced me. That is my runner-up worst debut for a future superstar. The Kingpin Brian Malonis debut as Brian Buffet, who injured himself before the opening bell even rang. He went up to the second rope, looking to get a cheer from the crowd. Of course, they weren't cheering for him because no one knew who the hell he was. He got down off the middle rope and hurt his leg. So, <laughs> In a move that would later be replicated by Eva Marie on SmackDown. Yes, yes. So I guess he's, uh, you know, he created a legacy there. It's him and Eva Marie. So good for the Kingpin. But that is not what I was going for there, Jason, but good call there. My worst debut for a future superstar is a local boy, a Killer Kowalski graduate. He is the son-in-law of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Triple H, of course, began his career first in WCW. Actually, before even that, his in-ring career, his debut was as Terra Space Rising. That's T-E-R-R-A, Space Rising. He's not terrorizing. He is Terra, first name, rising, last name. And, you know, he was just a guy with blonde hair who wrestled and did stuff. Uh, Of course, he won the IWF World Championship. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's not a world championship if it's just, you know, for the New England independence. But he would be... Yes, he'd be signed up by WCW after being around Kowalski's circuit for about a year. He would be terrorizing in the beginning of WCW. Then they would say, no, let's change that. You are Jean-Paul Levesque, where he cut a really terrible promo that was a past promo about nothing, explaining that he was called terrorizing on the schoolyard for terrorizing the local children but he was a French aristocrat, Jean-Paul Levesque. Then he was brought into WWE as, of course, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, an American aristocrat. He lost the French accent, and he was 
you know, I, lo- I love the bow. The gimmick was different, but it was uh, very different from what he ended up becoming with DX and as the game Triple H. Humble beginnings for Hunter Hearst Helmsley for Triple H as Terra Space Rising. And he went to WWE and did that aristocrat gimmick for a while. It was, you know, it was never going to be a main event gimmick. And I think people realized that. They thought he had some potential. And he went on to become, obviously, what he became, Triple H, now one of the most powerful men in professional wrestling. And uh, he came quite a long way from there uh, as terrorizing to the was the CFO of WWE. He's a big wig, definitely, in WWE and from very, very meager beginnings in professional wrestling. Yes, I believe it's the COO, Chief Operating Officer, if I'm there correct. There you go. Um, and, you know, even in that uh, Triple H, the original iteration, he still got to pal around with Sable, which is not a bad day at the office. No, no, yes, he did help facilitate Sable's debut in professional wrestling. He found something a little better for himself, something with a little more upward mobility with uh, Triple H with the whole game thing. So those are our worst debuts for a future wrestling superstar. What do you guys think out there? The worst debut to happen for a guy who went on to become something huge in professional wrestling. Let us know on Twitter and uh, be one of the people that is talking to us on Twitter because they've been talking to us all week and we're going to talk about it right now in Merv Griffin time. Of course, it is named for the Kingpin's favorite episode of our favorite show, Seinfeld, and we're doing voicemails over on the NAI Wrestling Network edition of the podcast, so get yours in now. We will play it on that show call 401-584-9726 that's 401-584-WPAN yes every Monday if this is the first time you're hearing us this week you're missing out join us on the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network it's a whole new feed it is the original feed where the New Age Insiders themselves the New Age Insiders Wrestling Show is on that feed we are there now make sure you find it Uh, search WPAN on your favorite podcast platform both of our feeds will come up make sure you're subscribed and join us each and every Monday as well as Thursday for all new editions of the wrestling podcast about nothing. On Thursdays, we talk about we talk with the fans and using our hashtag on Twitter, hashtag WPAN, you can talk to us too. So this past week, people were talking about last Thursday's podcast. We talked about our favorite finishing maneuvers, Jason. What's your favorite finishing maneuver? Well, as a lifelong, unabashed and unapologetic uh, Shawn Michaels mark and the way the Kingpin feels about Hulk Hogan is the way I feel about Shawn Michaels, I'd have to say the sweet chin music would probably be my favorite finisher of all time. And the way that you could just hit it out of nowhere before the Young Bucks destroyed it and made it take 12 or 13 (laughs) to finish a match, Shawn Michaels clearly much better at it than they were because he finished people with one of them. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, the super kick's a big one. Uh, it's it's it didn't make our lists, but a great finisher. Let's see what everyone else says about their favorite finishers. Richard, he is at Rasslin for Legends. Says the Macho Man Flying Elbow, and of course that was one of the Kingpin's picks. Peter Henry at Pat Bruin twenty two says the Frankensteiner, which actually was my number one finishing maneuver of all time. Jason, the first time I saw the Frankensteiner by this guy, this huge guy, he, was, he wasn't as huge as he would get, but even <laughs> back then, Scott Steiner was a very big gentleman, and to whip a guy off the ropes and just jump in the air, flip a guy over like that, that was breathtaking at that time. 
Absolutely. It, it certainly, people forget they sort of sell Rick Steiner a little short in that team. He had that flying bulldog off the top rope, too. So they were both relatively large guys that had no problem flying, and I think that's part of what made that team so successful and entertaining through the years. Yeah, they were uh, a devastating team. Uh, a lot of guys I know were doing uh, enhancement work at that time, and I know there were two people you didn't want to see your name next next to when it came to doing squash matches. It was Yokozuna or the Steiner brothers because each of them had very little regard for the for the job guys when it came to doing those squash matches. Yokozuna, do you remember sometimes he would sit and land with his feet on your chest when he did the bonsai drop? Sometimes he would just let those legs fly out and just sit full weight on you, just basically jump on you, destroy your life. And you never knew which one you were going to get. So anyone who saw their name next to Yokozuna when they went to TV was basically quaking in their boots. Yeah, absolutely. And little known fact about Scott Steiner as well, if you will, uh, breakfast is actually his favorite meal of the day. Really? Yep. Plenty of juice around. Oh, I see. I think we're going to talk about Shoney's. <laughs> that, you, could, you could go there, too. Uh, they serve breakfast? They do, and apparently they have a giant billboard with just a picture of Scott Steiner with no shirt on. That's their <laughs> advertising <not>? campaign. <laughs> That's how you bring in the people. That's how you bring in the people. Uh, okay, let's get back to here. Jay Duckets. He is at Johnny Duckets on Twitter. He says, a Stone Cold Stunner and also Crazy Bob Backlund's Crossface Chicken Wing. That was big back in the uh, day, right before the Attitude Era, when Bob Backlund as the crazy guy talking about people eating marijuana, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just did, didn't translate to the Darren Young gimmick, though, unfortunately. Didn't ever quite teach Darren how to lock that crossface in properly. No, no. I, and Darren Young is ready to go. I think he's back doing house shows, but he hasn't been back on TV. I'm not sure what's going on with uh, with our friend Darren Young. Hopefully he makes it back to TV. But uh, I don't know about Bob Backlund if he's going to make it back with Darren Young. Um, all right, let's move on to Rob M. He is at Madville on Twitter. M-A-A-D-V-I-L. Says the Perfect Plex or the Rude Awakening. Perfect Plex is a good one. Mr. Perfect hit it on the Giant, which is one of the... Uh, you know, one of the most popular gifts you see out there, him hitting the perfect plex on the giant. That's a, a feat in and of itself. Absolutely. And uh, it's also currently used as the finisher by one of my favorites down in NXT, Miss Peyton Royce, who I think does a picture perfect version of it herself. No pun intended. Beautiful. Uh, Mike Mills, our friend from Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast at Mike 504 Saints. We talked about the kill switch, Christian's finishing maneuver, which had its origins back with Tommy Rogers and ECW. He called it the Tomikaze, uh, also known as the Unprettier, which was the Kingpin's preferred name for it. Mike Mills, a former independent talent in the South, said he took it from Tommy Rogers in 2002 or so. Tommy Rogers did, in fact, claim he created it long before he was seen on WWF slash WWE TV. And I corroborated that. So, Tommy Rogers, I'm backing you up there. I was wondering if that could perhaps devastate you taking that maneuver. Of course, the Kingpin, a larger gentleman, has never taken the Unprettier. But uh, I was wondering if that was a rough move to take. And Mike Mills says it's uh, pretty easy. So, that's good to know. I'm sure the Kingpin would kick out of it if he took it, though. Uh, <laughs> of course. But I will say, I hope uh, I hope Mike Mills is listening because I threw in the Becky Lynch debut specifically so I could throw in a mention of Sasha Banks for Mike. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate that. I'm sure very much. All right, Randall Keo, one of our 
uh, number one fans of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Always appreciate hearing from Randall at Randall Keo on Twitter. He said, Sergeant Slaughter's atomic noogie looked painful, and I actually tried it on my brother, totally ignoring the don't try this at home warning. That that was the one that I talked about last week. We, talk, we were talking about the favorites last week, but I was uh, really upset that I forgot to mention during when we talked about the worst finishing maneuvers, the Sergeant Slaughter atomic noogie. One of the most terrible moves forever uh, on WrestleFest the wrestling game, it is forever going to be seen as Sergeant Slaughter's finishing maneuver. Uh, do you remember the Atomic Noogie, Jason? I do, and uh, I remember trying it a few times and being amazingly shocked that it didn't work. Um, <laughs> I, I would also submit humbly to that list of bad wrestling finishers, The Claw, all respect to Killer Kowalski. Yeah, I've, Jesus. I've never been able to make anyone uncomfortable with The Claw. I, maybe I just don't have the hand strength. Maybe that's what it is. It must be. It must be. Now, you're doing it on the head or you're doing it on the stomach? I'll do it wherever. You know, I, okay. I'll, I'll put my hands on anything and squeeze. <laughs> That's how you got this position, actually, to be on the show today. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> well, you know, again, kayfabe, my kayfabe. Come on. <laughs> uh, at Jimmy, you dig on Twitter. He said the stunner, the styles clash, the tombstone, Olympic slam and the Phoenix splash. Of course, the Phoenix splash, also known as the 450, the Scorpio splash, which is one of the ones on my list. The first time I saw two cold Scorpio on a clash of the champions do that 450. I was just blown away and uh, that made my list as one of the greatest finishing maneuvers one of my favorite finishing maneuvers DC Matthews from the NAI Wrestling Network at DC Matthews NAI he said this could be an entire series by itself he says the Tiger Driver 91 the Texas Cloverleaf and Power and Glory's tandem finisher which I really should have had that on my list we talked about the Doomsday Device but when it comes to tag team finishing maneuvers the Powerplex from Power and Glory was probably one of the best Jason you think yeah absolutely just the time Timing had to be perfect. They, they nailed everything. Uh, and a, one of those teams that I thought never really got the run they should have had, actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what, what happened there, but something happened. And Paul Rome ended up exiting WWF and going to WCW. They must have uh, dangled that horseman carrot in his face to get him over to WCW or something. Well, if you have to pick a tag team partner, you got Hercules, you got Arn Anderson. I think I'd go with Arn, too. There you go. Uh, okay, Matt Jurgensen at Matt Jurgs on Twitter says Paul Orndorff's jumping pile driver looked fantastic. Uh, yeah, there's a number of pile drivers out there, but Orndorff's he just jumps up in the air, brings you down on your neck. Looked very good. One of the best pile drivers out there. What is the best pile driver you'd think, Jason? I I can't talk about this. This topic is banned. We can't uh, we can't discuss <laughs> pile drivers. I, I apologize. I'll, I'll edit this out. Okay. My Sorry, goodness. Banned. Yeah, banned. <laughs> yeah, it is banned. It's banned. Uh, Rand- Randall Keo once again says he loved Ron Bass's finisher. I talked about how Ron Bass's finisher was like the predecessor to the pedigree. He is the same thing. He put your head down there and just fell to the canvas. He didn't hook the arms, but that was Ron Bass's finisher. And Randall says, what about when Triple H almost killed the guy with the pedigree? Everyone's, I think, seen that gif of Triple H hitting the pedigree. The guy the guy jumps up, so he comes down straight on his head. The guy was Marty Garner, who was also known as Champagne on the Independence. And, I mean, that wasn't Triple H's fault. That was the guy just not knowing how to take the move, I think. He just decided I was going to jump up instead of just falling straight 
down to the canvas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's similar sort of to the uh, bad rep sometimes AJ Styles gets for the Styles Clash. As long as you take the move right, you have no problems. <laughs> it's it's right. when you tuck your neck on that one that you end up in trouble. Right. And uh, okay, let's move on to Mike Jass, an old friend of ours from Chaotic Wrestling. He is at Sicker Mike. S-I-C-R-M-I-K-E. He said, that is easy. Best finishing maneuver. Total elimination. Or as Joey Styles would say, total elimination. Yeah, that is another tag team finisher that is up there in terms of, I mean, there's not a ton of great tag team finishers, but that is definitely one of them, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, later stolen by the Ascension uh, as Fall of Man, but uh, to a little bit less success than the Eliminators had with it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Tiny tiny bit. (laughs) All right. At Lone Wolf GAM, our friend Greg Myron says, happy International Podcast Day to the WPAN with Mike Crockett and Brian Malonis. He says, thanks for making the Putting Over Podcast Facebook group, Mike. Uh, yeah, make sure everybody goes to Facebook and put in the search bar, Putting Over Podcasts. It's a group bringing together pro wrestling podcasters and podcast fans. We're just talking about all things podcasts. So go look us up on Facebook and join. And thank you, Greg, for being a part of it. And Jason, you're a part of it too. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really cool to uh, just bring the whole community together. I've, I've picked some tips up from there and had some great interactions with some other people. We even got a fantasy football league out of it, Mike, which I will point out the Kingpin, despite all his bragging about his fantasy football prowess did not join clearly afraid of my skills. I think so. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Also this past Monday, we talked about unsung heroes. Of course we had all the unsung heroes from the all new New Age Insiders Wrestling Network there talking. The Kingpin was away. So we were talking about unsung heroes. And we talked about also the underappreciated people from wrestling in the past, wrestling today. And we got some feedback on that at Brian Bassshaw. He is Brian Bradshaw, actually, on Twitter. He says, a fun fact about Howard Finkel, who is one of our unsung heroes, he coined the term WrestleMania. And we talked about Howard Finkel, how he was the first employee of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And yeah, uh, one of the vital members. I mean, the ring announcer, you you would know this better than anyone, Jason. The ring announcer is often overlooked, but a bad ring announcer can be a terrible thing for your wrestling show. A great ring announcer can bring everybody up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the MC position of the entire show. I mean, it's, you know, and I have nothing, absolutely nothing but respect for all the guys in the locker room. But sometimes it's easy to forget that when their match is over, the ring announcer, the commentators, those guys are working the whole show. So they have to cover for every match. They have to kill time in between. They have to be interesting and keep the crowd up to keep all that energy for when those guys get into the ring. So it's very, very tough. It's a lot that goes into it. And you go through a lot of index cards. I've spent a lot of money on index cards for the years. <laughs> uh, Steven, of course, my nemesis at HHHGuy2004. He says, I know these guys are technically training, but on the indie level, the security guards at ringside are unsung heroes. Now, that's another position that isn't really talked about when it comes to a wrestling show. Just the guys keeping the riffraff away from the ring, out of the ring. There's just an incident on an NXT show in Florida where a fan decided to charge the ring. And the security guards, uh, they stop a lot of that stuff from happening. Uh, as Steven says, a lot of them are guys training in the ring that 
that haven't made it onto shows yet. But yeah, the security guards, that is a great thing. Any, any other unsung heroes that we didn't talk about this past Monday or Jason that you think deserves to be recognized? Uh, obviously, the, the whole production crew, the guys that put together video packages and stuff. And, and that comes to my mind because I remember watching No Mercy and like particularly the video packages for the Roman Reigns, John Cena match and the Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar match. That stuff was put together so well. And it when it's done well and you see them, especially around WrestleMania time, they really up their game. But those things can really take your interest in a match and heighten it even more, especially for the casual fans who hasn't followed the storyline from start to finish. So to me, they, they deserve a lot of credit. I think you're talking about me there, the casual fan who hasn't seen it from start to finish. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do appreciate those video packages when I'm watching those pay-per-views <laughs> these days. Although when you talk about security guys, I will say that they are unsung heroes. However, occasionally at WrestleManias in, say, an Andre the Giant Battle Royal, they may not know the storyline and get in the way of people who are supposed to be participating. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes they do the job a little too well, and sometimes there are those times where they don't do their job well enough, where they're just kind of hanging out there and thinking they're watching a show for free from ringside. Yeah. So it goes, uh, you know, there's a large wide scale there of of security guards, but the good ones are what we're talking about here when it comes to unsung heroes. TK, the executive producer of the wrestling podcast about nothing, he is at thog94 says. This week's episode about unsung heroes reminds me of what the Warrior Award was originally intended to be for the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's a little, uh, that's a touchy subject. Yeah, a lot of controversy this week regarding the uh, legacy of the Warrior. Yes, they they did something in the ring for uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, Dana Warrior was in there talking about the whole Susan B. Coleman thing, and can you talk a little bit more about that, Jason? What's going on with that? Uh, well, basically, I think a, a lot of people sort of, as you hold the warrior up, and it's not just the Dana Warrior was in the ring, but they've also kind of patterned all the T-shirts uh, under Be Your Own Warrior or something, some slogan like that with the warrior's face on it. And it's prompted a good number of people on the internet where you know people like to complain about everything. Uh, it's prompted those people to point out that during his life, the ultimate warrior was not always the most how shall we say, politically correct person. Uh, he had a tendency to be very homophobic, to be very divisive, if you will. Today, I even saw somebody point out that at one point he went publicly at a speech and wished cancer on Bobby Heenan. So a lot of blowback, I think, just because they tend to sweep the negative stuff under the rug after the guy passes away. And we've seen that throughout history. Uh, it's not right. just that's not exclusive to wrestling or to the WWE by any stretch. But I think now now that you're putting him in light as sort of like this great standard to live up to if you're a fighter and you're trying to battle diseases and things like that. I think some people are starting to go, ah, this might not be the role model you want to hold up. Yeah, and the whole thing with the Warrior Award is the fact that the Ultimate Warrior in his Hall of Fame speech talked about how he wants to, there should be an award for the underappreciated guys backstage. Like he talked about a guy that was, you know, in the merchandising part of the company that he really deserved to be recognized. But once they decided to establish the Warrior Award, it was more about this warrior spirit. And, you know, it did it didn't take on what the warrior in his speech originally intended for it to be. Yeah, and I totally understand where some people are coming from being upset about stuff like that. Uh, my take has always kind of been, look, the guy did some stuff, and we can all sit here and drag his name through the mud for the rest of time. And there's certainly enough quotes and things like that that you can point to. But he left behind two young daughters. He left behind a wife. 
perhaps the statute of limitations can be expired on that and let them remember their dad in a positive way and their husband in a positive way rather than constantly reminding them of his shortcomings. Because I think, and I'm not often the beacon of positivity, but allow me to say, I think that all of us should not be remembered and judged by our worst moments. I like that, Jason. I like that very much. Thank you for that. And finally... Let's get a little word from Brian Malonis. We'd had the unsung heroes of the New Age Insiders Wrestling Network on this past Monday. And on Facebook, our Facebook is facebook.com slash the WPAN. Brian Malonis commented on our unsung heroes podcast and says, the underappreciated, a.k.a. the enhancement talent. So thanks very much for that, Kingpin. And I can't wait to see you this next Monday on the all-new New Age Insiders Wrestling Network. Uh, thank you to everyone else. Uh, no thanks to the Kingpin, but thanks to everyone else who was a part of Merv Griffin Time this week. And we look forward to talking to you on Twitter. And we'll bring you the best of it next week on the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDARadio.com. Calm. All right. On this podcast, we have made the effort to establish a very unique, very exclusive Hall of Fame. Now, in life, as in wrestling, the number one way to tell people they're up to no good is through laughter. Now, I hearken back to those immortal words once uttered by my friend Tarzan Taylor. He told me all it takes is that one over-exaggerated guffaw to let everyone know you're pure evil. So with that said, I am humbly submitting this week's inductee to the wrestling podcast about nothings, Heal, Laugh, Hall of Fame. Hey! Get out of here. Where are you going? Sit down. This is my locker room. You think you can have any locker? Stand up. Pick up your bag. <laughs> Go get it. What are you doing? Open it up. Turn on the water. Fill it up. Get it under there. Stop the water. Now get the hell out of my locker room. <laughs> so that's the laugh we were waiting for there at the end there. Ryback, if you didn't know from the Goldberg chants that were going on during that uh, backstage vignette, Ryback is the next member of the Heel Laugh Hall of Fame. And uh, yeah, this is the point near the end of Ryback's career. He was a heel at this point, and he was a locker room bully. 
So this is what he was doing here, humiliating the underneath talent and forcing them to put their gear in the shower and turn the water on, completely ruining all of their clothing. If that's not a heel move, Jason Stewart, I don't know what is. Well, when when I heard uh, pick up your bags and get out of here, I thought we were listening to some backstage uh, stuff with Enzo Amore. So... Um, but no i I, pick up your bags put them down do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around was the only thing missing as far as i could tell (laughs) yes so ryback of course he was scheduled at one point to wrestle kingpin brian malonis i think kingpin got that show canceled so he wouldn't have to wrestle ryback but ryback will be on an upcoming show he'll be on breaking point in chaotic wrestling it's coming to haverhill massachusetts very soon don't have the exact date you can go to chaoticwrestling.com for that info but ryback coming back to new england he will be on a chaotic wrestling show on breaking point and hopefully the kingpin is not the guy that has to get in there and get destroyed well actually i do want to see i would love to see a shell shock on brian malonis by ryback well i mean if he could hit it on the big show he'd probably be able to do it on the kingpin i'd imagine I would hope so. Uh, that would be great to see. So that is our He Laugh Hall of Famer. And if you want to see him in all his glory, find the link to the video in the description of this episode or go to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing page on BDARadio.com. Brian Malonis is packing his bags, about to hit those highways and those byways this weekend, doing that pro wrestling thing. He is headed to Woburn, Massachusetts this Friday night for Chaotic Wrestling, the road to Breaking Point, the last show before the big event in Haverhill. This Friday night, October the 6th, he's going for the Chaotic Wrestling Heavyweight Championship challenging Ilya Markopoulos. Of course, he won the Chaotic Countdown to earn that right, finally getting his title match against the champion Ilya this Friday night, Woburn, Massachusetts, 8 o'clock bell time at the Woburn Elks Lodge on October 6th. Get your tickets for that at chaoticwrestling.com. And if you want to book the Kingpin on a future event, email brianmalonis at comcast.net or DM him on Twitter at brianmalonis. And for more on the wrestling podcast about nothing and to check out BDA Radio's MMA podcast, A Man Walks Into an Iron Bar with Chad Alden and Paul St. Amon Jr., head on over to your home for MMA and wrestling talk, bdaradio.com. Jason Stewart from the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. So much going on over there on the Rundown Wrestling Podcast feed. Why don't you let us know what's going on, where we can find you online, all that kind of stuff. Well, we are available on pretty much all your major podcasting apps. Search for Rundown Wrestling. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. You can follow me personally on Twitter at jsteward0920. We're currently in the process of trying to really uh, increase the content on our feed. On Mondays, we're currently offering uh, WrestleMania Salvation every couple weeks, where one of our co-hosts, Sal, goes through WrestleManias starting at number one that he's never watched before and gives you his feedback on those. We have our Nitromania, as Adam never watched Nitro in its original run now goes through and watches them with current context nxt revisited we review nxt from the beginning our flagship show every thursday and just recently debuted the newest show glow stick where troy goes through the run of the first season of glow on netflix uh and of course coming back as i mentioned in november the rundown sit downs will be back hopefully and if anybody uh from new england or anybody else is listening to this and would be interested in being a guest or has a guest they'd like to hear i encourage you to uh tweet at us at rundown podcast and let us know who you want to hear on the sit downs 
All right. And Jason, great to have you here. And make sure everyone out there, if you're listening to this, subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast feed and follow at Rundown Podcast on Twitter to get uh, all the updates on what's going on with the Rundown Podcast and with Jason Stewart. Thank you very much, Jason, for being here or here on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing on BDARadio.com and the Podcast Radio Network. Oh, thank you. And I want to thank you uh, for all the support. You guys have been great to us. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we were able to throw a couple listens your way. I mean, you guys have a larger audience than we do but hopefully uh we can continue to have this great relationship and uh help each other out yeah that's what it's all about and uh yes thank you likewise it's great to have uh you as a compatriot of ours in the podcast game thanks very much jason and we will be back next monday with episode 77 of the wrestling podcast about nothing on the nai wrestling network then you can catch us back here for the next edition of the wpan on bdaradio.com and the podcast radio network till then for the vacationing kingpin brian malonis he is jason stewart i'm mike crockett big ups to mucko and thanks for nothing (laughs) 